Imagine having the life of your dreams. Not temporary cash and glory, but happiness and inner peace. Explore new ways to be a creator and take your own journey into greatness. Is it possible? What does it take to make that happen? It takes the person known for extreme results. He's called the cage breaker and the ultimate catalyst. Coming back from the brink of death and now crushing it for himself and his clients, this is your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Your Ultimate Life. This is a podcast dedicated to helping people figure out that no matter where you start and no matter what's going on, you can live a life that's full of purpose and can prosper and you can have joy in your life no matter what else has gone on. Today's episode 749 and I'm grateful to have a guest a special guest here today with me that's got quite an uh, quite a good story, Connor Hebel. Connor, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It really means a lot, and I'm really excited to talk with you today. Fabulous. And so like we talked before, this is just talking, so we're just going to chatter. Um, so uh, I was blessed to have the opportunity to chat with you for a little bit before we started, and I'm just blown away by the story you have. And one of the things you said to start with is, well, I don't share my story very much. Well, this is a place where I want you to. So start wherever you like and share your story, however you want to share it, because I think it's good and I want to talk about it. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, So as a kid, I was born a failure to thrive, which basically means that um, when I was younger, I, I had health challenges that the doctor, like right when I was born, like ever since I was born, I've had health challenges. It took me 14 years to get a diagnosis. And in between that whole period of time, I had a lot of people tell me like, oh, like you're not sick or like stuff like that. So I had, I had to overcome a lot of those challenges of not feeling believed and also internalizing that feeling of, oh, I like me starting to not believe myself. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. Now, I need to ask some more about that, because that's a couple of really important things. So during our pre-chat, I asked you some of the things that uh, were were challenges that you had, and you gave me some initials and some language that I don't know. And as a result, I think, as a result of those being kind of rare, people didn't believe you. And we're going to get into the second part of what you said, which is I started not believing myself. That's a whole different thing. We'll get to that in a minute. But why did it take you 14 years before somebody figured out what the particular struggles were that you had? Why was that so hard? Because it's not really a common thing. And it it's one of those that we looked at cancer. We looked at pandas. We looked at all these different types of things. And so it really was looking and there wasn't really a clear answer. It, for a long time, uh, my doctors called it Connor's disease because like they'd look at panels and it would be like one thing on here that should have been the same on another thing. It was like completely different. So like a lot of the stuff I have looked, it it really confused a lot of my doctors. That's so, so that's incredible. You told me some stuff and uh, and I don't remember them. The one I remember is something EDS, which means your joints are very flexible and do what, what to us would be odd things, but whatever, it's stuff you have. What were some of the 
things that you said really quickly before that I didn't understand? What were some of the other diagnoses that they finally found for you? Uh, POTS, which... Um, Stop. What is that? So the it's a abbreviation, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So it's... Um, my brain, brain, like when I stand up, my brain doesn't register that I need to get my blood back up to my head. So I, a lot of my blood ends up going like down into my, my legs and stuff. And so that can make it so that I pass out or other things like that. Fortunately at my level, I don't pass out a lot of times. Wow. So, uh, I'm not going to even try to pronounce that abbreviation, but what it means is you, it, your blood doesn't go in the right places. All right, that could be really difficult, especially for a kid moving around a lot and doing stuff. I'm surprised you didn't pass out. So there was there was that, and that must have been difficult to find. What else? Uh, and especially when there's like three or four things at once. So what else did they end um, up telling you, finding? There's mast cell activation syndrome, which um, is with your cytokines. So cytokines are the type of thing that when a mosquito bites your arm, or yeah, uh, then you get like this welt and it'll welt up. The The welt is from your cytokines. And so my body will react. It could be something as simple as touching grass. Or if I get really anxious, my ears will get red. Um, and so it's, it's my body dysregulating. Wow. So, you know, you, you have been in the medical system doing these different things so much. I don't know about any of the listeners, and I'm not going to judge them, but you're using words that I don't know. And I'm sure that to you, they're part of your everyday vocabulary because you've been in and out of, I guess, probably 25,000 doctor visits. In your... like it <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm sure. So I don't know what cytokines are, but what I'm hearing is anything from grass to mosquito bites, you have an outsized reaction to some kinds of stimulus. Yes. Is that right? Okay, cool. So we've got a blood thing and that doesn't move in the right places. And I'm not trying to keep a catalog, but I'm just thinking in my mind of how complicated it would be to grow up with, with this, you know, interfacing with the world in this peculiar, I say peculiar, not very regular way, meaning compared to everybody else. What else was there? Are there anything, any other things that were part of that? I've had Hashimoto since I was a kid. That one's actually an interesting story because I was in kindergarten and like I had this massive goiter and we'd go around to doctors and they'd feel the goiter. It was like huge. It was like a donut. And they'd be like, oh, nothing's wrong here. It's fine. Then my mom started interviewing doctors trying to figure out which ones would like, what, what is this? And one doctor said, well, what does the blood say? And it turns out that all they needed to do was just take a blood test. I had Hashimoto's, full-blown Hashimoto's. I, I, so they're, 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 you're, again, you're using words that to you are part of normal everyday language. And to me, it's like, it sounds like some exotic food I'd get at a Japanese restaurant. So tell me what Hashimoto's is. I'm not being negative. It's just that I don't know what that is. So I tell me. Understand. Uh, so Hashimoto's is an autoimmune. Um, basically, my uh, body says, there's this foreign entity and I need to attack it. But the thing is, it's my thyroid. So it's attacking me, even though, because it thinks that I'm the enemy. So I have to help my body say, hey, this isn't this isn't a foreign entity, basically. 
So, so what in the world was a doctor thinking if you have this big thing on your neck and nobody else has one and you walk in there and say, what's this thing? And he says, oh, it's okay. Like, what did that, yeah, what, what, what did that make you think when somebody, several somebodies kept telling you, oh, it's fine. What? Well, the first thing is, I, I would like to know what this is, but, um, it kind of made me feel like, oh, everyone has this going on. Like, oh, these problems aren't aren't bad. Like they're like I have this big problem, but everyone says it's normal. So I shouldn't feel the pain that I'm feeling, or I shouldn't I shouldn't be dealing with it in the way I am. I, what I is guess. yeah, what does it feel like to be told and for one thing, let alone three or more things? that you shouldn't be feeling what you're feeling what does that feel like it's very isolating it's it's one of those things that that you can't really you, it it takes a while to unpack it it's it's only like now that three years after my diagnoses that i've actually been able to really unpack and feel a lot of the things that i felt back then it was one of the things that really helped in that time was I found a community of people who were going through that same unknown and that same confusion. Um, I went to a pediatric pain camp and by having people who were around me that were like, oh, like they understood they got it. It made me feel like, wow, I'm not alone in the world. Like that isolation is, it's an interesting experience, but it also gives you a unique perspective on life. It gives you something that a lot of like perspectives that other people don't see as well. You know, that's a really important observation. And I want to remind our listeners that Connor's 17, I think you said, is that right? Okay, cool. So at 17, he's, he's had these, these experiences and they have taught him this important lesson that first he was taught in these formative growing up years that what he was feeling was not real, not okay. And then he, he goes to a place, he called it a pediatric pain camp, which maybe I'm just uneducated. I've never heard of that either, but that's okay. Where you realize I'm not alone. And that gives you a perspective to help to help you even at this i mean like at 17 i would have had no idea how to have the kind of experiences or maturity or understanding that you began to get and i'm sure that will unfold for you over the next years but that's just um amazing so when you went to a place where other people were like being had been being told for however long that they weren't feeling what they were feeling or that way how did it feel to be amongst a group of people where you knew all of a sudden you weren't alone and there were other people that were being told the same kind of nonsense about different stuff but just that same kind of feeling how did that feel for you it completely changed my life it made me realize that i wasn't alone like i had my mom and i had a few people who knew and could kind of understand where i was at but to have someone experiencing the same or similar type of thing that I was, it was like, wow. Like, and it also gave me a chance to process and also kind of grieve what I had gone through. Um, and that really made it so that I, I could 
be who I am without having a constant fear or something that someone would be like, oh, you're wrong or you're this. Um, and even if they did, it felt more like I had the people who would support me either way. So that's really powerful. When we were when we were chatting before we started, one of the things that you were worried about was that somehow you would show up as a guest on the show that was not valuable or that you would somehow say something wrong. And yet one of the maturities that you've achieved is an ability to deal because of your experiences and then going to this place an ability to understand and deal with the fact that other people might think all these weird things and it doesn't make them right. Yeah, I definitely had to kind of put a lot of my fear aside to be able to be on this podcast. Um, I actually, it, I had, I had my train, my brain's left the station. It's a little wonky. It's, for a it's second. all good. It's all good. So, so think about it for a second. Tell me. So you had to put some fear aside to do the podcast. And then what? And then I realized that I I was able to accomplish something that was so scary for me. And that is really empowering to be able to do something like that. And it feels like now I can do something even bigger. Like I'm able to be on this podcast that I'm so nervous about. And I'm not letting my fear win. To be able to not let your fear win, it makes such a huge difference because fear, it's there to help you. Like if you were on a street, a busy street, like, of course, you don't want to have a tea party. But when it comes to other things that you you want to do or are important to you, then fear makes fear is one of those things that kind of can. Um, it can. It can make it so that you're not able to accomplish what you want to do in your life. And it can make the meaning of, it can. You're doing fine. I, what you. I'm hearing so far, what I'm hearing so far is there's a place for fear, like having a party in the middle of the street. Nobody wants to have a party on the freeway, but then fear in, in a, in a, I will say harmful or disempowering way is something that makes you shy away from doing something that you really want to do because you're worried about how it will come out or how it will look or what people will think. And that was sort of pounded into you by people not believing you about being sick or about being told that you didn't have a problem when you obviously had a problem and all of the rest and that kind of fear you're you're telling me and our listeners is something that you're intentionally uh, bringing front and center and saying i'm not gonna let you fear control my life precisely and it's something that i've i've really worked on uh, a lot is not letting my fear win because if my fear wins than who I am. I can't be who I am because fear is one of those things that it won't, it'll just let you go past your comfort zone, but it won't quite. And if, if you want to be your true, or if you want to be someone like if if you want to be able to 
accomplish your goals, a lot of goals are outside of that line of fear. So to be able to get to your goals, it's really important to get past that fear. So I love that. That is absolutely brilliant advice. And I certainly didn't understand that at uh, your age at all and for much, much later in, in life. And so your ability to even explain this and I understand you, you know, you have a worry that you're not somehow explaining it right. You're doing fine. You're explaining from the point of view of someone who's had all this stuff thrust upon them and now has made a conscious and intentional choice to live a life not governed by fear, to do the things. And you've described it really well. You, you sort of dance up to the edge of what you dare do. And then fear kind of both taunts you and at the same time prevents you from expressing yourself or being what you want to be or that kind of thing, right? Definitely. Fear is one of those things that it's like, sometimes you can see it, it's like front and center. And then other times it's like hidden away and you have to kind of, kind of um, get it out into the light so that you can get past it too. I love that getting it out into the light because fear thrives in the dark. And what I mean by that is I don't know what's going to happen. I'm afraid this might happen and all the maybes and doubts that are shrouded in uncertainty because the event hasn't happened or the future hasn't happened and all those possibilities are what eats your lunch. Fear loves the unknown. It's when you, when it's like something bad will happen. It loves to not tell you what that bad thing is, just that it'll happen and you can't control it. Even though there are ways for you to control it. And one of those is by doing the exact thing that fear tells you not to do. That is one way. So speaking of eating your lunch, I wanted to get to the <clears throat> the board behind you because <clears throat> one of the things you shared with me before we talked is that you had real trouble with food uh, and you couldn't eat this and couldn't eat that. And I didn't wasn't able to follow all the details again, because of my lack of experience. But what I did hear is that you practically had an emotional meltdown when you could finally eat rice or eat regular food, which is, you know, an amazing thing for someone like me who's got a cast iron stomach and can eat anything and always have been able to. So I love that. Behind you, you've got a thing about microgreens as part of your, yeah, part of your, both your story and something you're really passionate about so I want you to do two things. Thing number one, I want you to tell me a little bit about that food journey that you told me a little bit about, and then tie it into how this microgreen thing is important to you and why that matters a lot. You gave me a little education before we started, but I want a lot more. So tell me your food journey and then tell me about this micro stuff. So back when I was uh, seven, I had a lot of gut issues. Um, we think it was leaky gut and a few other things. One of the many unknowns of my stuff. Um, and so I had to go on a very strict uh, gut repair diet. I could have some meat, some fruits and some vegetables. And that was it. Like it was super strict. And that was for a year. Um, so I and it really made a difference in my health. Like I look at some of my friends who have gone on similar journeys and some of them have gone through like the more medical route versus more like uh, met, uh, plants and like taking care of diet based. 
And it's, it's just, it's completely made a difference for me, but yeah, it was, it was tough for that first year because, um, I, I cried like I won the lottery the first time I could have rice. Like it was amazing. (laughs) Um, I couldn't wear clothes for the longest time just because of my gut. Um, and so I was walking along. So before you do that, why couldn't, were the clothes were reacting to you in some way, like the fabric of clothing or what? Yeah, it was. It was like, um, so it was the fabric because I have sensory stuff, but it was also my gut was so out of whack that even something as loose as a pair of pants could really hurt my stomach. Like I could only wear pants for a short period of time just because of how it felt super tight. It felt like, like there was something really restricting, like a big bear hug mm. constantly. Like wow. it was, yeah, it was painful. And so that has migrated to what? How how are you doing now? I am doing so much better. Um, because I was on that diet for that year, it really got my gut functioning and getting the right healthy gut bacteria back into my system. And it, I also was able to get my diagnoses. And to be able to do that, I also got some medication that really helped helped my body as well. So to be able to have both um health through uh food and health through medicine it they really worked well and now i'm able to function i'm able to i never thought i was going to be able to wear jeans but now i am oh wow that must have been something great so let's move into this <clears throat> microgreens i want you to tell me what they are and assume i'm an idiot because i am so just tell me what they are and what they mean and why what they do for me and why you're so excited about them So I actually found microgreens at the time that I was on the diet. I was walking through a farmer's market and I noticed that there were microgreens and I started growing them ever since I was seven. And it was one of those things my mom was shocked. I would go over and eat them. So microgreens are the stage right after a sprout. They're actually the most nutrient dense stage in the life cycle of a plant. And they're grown in seven days. So by by day seven, you're able to eat your own fresh live food. So they're really amazing. And they're, they're, I just, I can't say enough about them. They're, um, I consider them a part of my medicine. So tell me more, like what kind of things do you grow? You can grow just about anything as a microgreen. My favorite are peas. They taste like those peas that you eat fresh out of the garden. Like they're, they have this wonderful crunch. There's wasabi. It tastes like the wasabi you get from, uh, from sushi and, uh, Radish is a nice one. It's like eating a radish out of the garden. Well, now, does wasabi that you grow like that burn your nose apart like it does when you're in sushi, or is it different? It's not as strong. Believe it or not, it doesn't, like, burn like that. It's like it has more of a calm spice, but it has such a dimension of flavor. And it's it's really amazing. We have people who ask us, how did you flavor the wasabi in there? But wasabi is a part of um, the mustard family. So it's actually a plant itself. We just well, usually I've, have horseradish. Oh. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. So m- microgreens, for both my education and those listening, are it's a stage of plants. It's right after it sprouts before it gets how big? Like, is there a dimension or is it a stage of development? It's a stage of development. So it's between day seven to day 14, roughly. That's mm-hmm. the microgreen stage. And do you grow them in the house or do you have a garden in the yard or what do you do? 
Um, we recommend growing them inside because um, they prefer the cool temperatures. And uh, if the sun hits them, it, it'll just fry them. Uh, so we, we grow them inside. We have our own growing rack, but you can grow them on your countertop. There's so many, there, it's very easy. It's um, just near a window, ambient light's perfect for them. All right, so uh, not to dwell on it too much, but the sign behind you, is that a, a project or something that you're working on to get people to do more of it? Or tell me more about that. Our mission is to educate and empower people to grow their own nutrient-rich, delicious, and economical food. So that's my mission. And um, so, yeah, it is our project. Uh, it's Amelia Island Microgreens, and we're really trying to help people it comes out of I've with all my challenges, I want to be able to give back and give everything that I all the benefits that I've had, like all the things that I I that that um my my give me a second. It's fine. So what I understand so far is I don't know where Amelia Island is. Where is that? It's in Florida. It's uh, close. It's like 30 minutes away from Georgia. So it's close to Jacksonville, but also close to Georgia. So it's like right in between that area. So is that on the Panhandle part? No. The part that goes. Know. Okay, fine. <clears throat> so you you have a project to help people. And the way you said it was clearly so a memorized thing. Nutrient-rich microgreens to, to help us all be healthier. Is that a is that a business that you have and people can go sign up for it or is that a is that just a project? Like, tell me more about it. It is a business, um, mm -hmm. yes, and uh, we're uh, we're trying. Um, at, at the peak of COVID, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. It's all good. Nothing. I'm just in a worry. Just tell me the peak of COVID. What? Uh, the food, uh, so I've been growing for 10 years. So at the peak of COVID, the food got really wonky and like you'd go into stores and see empty shelves. And I started to get really concerned. My mom started to get so concerned. She uh, created a garden outside. We got mm -hmm. some fruits and some tomatoes, not, not too much. Um, so then I was like, Hey, we should start growing microgreens. And then it also became, Hey, we should teach other people how to grow microgreens because I feel like other people are concerned as well. So it really came out of that wanting to help people with the food scarcity as well. Cool. So um, is this Amelia Island your company or is it just something you're part of? It's my company. I created it um, in 2020. Okay. So this is spectacular. So your mission now, <clears throat> given all your challenges that you have now overcome, they're not gone, but I mean, you, you've learned how to live and manage with the ones that we've talked about so far, you've created a company, Amelia Island Microgreens, and the purpose is to help people augment their food supply, eat stuff that's not poison, and take care of their own nutrition and gut health and all the rest of the of the things. Right. Yeah. So yeah. tell me how to find it. How would I? How would the listeners find out more about? Amelia, um, spell it or move your head just a little bit, one side or the other. It's Amelia little... Island, there it is. Mm -hmm. So tell me, tell us, how do we would find out about that if we want to know more? We have our website, AmeliaIslandMicrogreens.com. Uh, mm -hmm. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And so you can find us there as well. 
Um, is what you sell, do you sell microgreens or you just sell instructions and, you know, ideas and kits and pictures and I'm making this up because I didn't look. Like what is there for me to do if I want to, if I want to, and I'm interested now. So what is there for me to learn and do if I go there? <clears throat> so we sell microgreen kits. We originally started selling microgreens mm -hmm. to stores like uh, pre-grown, but then we mm -hmm. went back to our mission, which is to educate and empower people to grow their own food. And we realized that didn't really meet our mission. So we've gone back to selling kits and it's, it's really and so that's how we've, um, that's what we do. Yes. Cool. Well, I'm excited. So <clears throat> you've taught us about fear and about doing things that scare you. You've taught us about overcoming the idea that people pile on you disbelief and project their own negative stuff. And you've lived with that and gotten past it. You've overcome the challenges of, of health and everything else and discovered a way to help others, to give back and to help others learn to manage nutrition and do something better. Is there any final advice or thoughts that you'd like to share just with me? Like you and I have had an hour together and tell me what else I need to know or learn from your journey. That's a really good question. Let me think about that one a little. Trusting yourself, trusting yourself that you'll be able to make make the commitments or the the things that fear tells you you can't do to be able to trust yourself enough that, yes, you can do that. I love that. Thank you. And I love the fact that you thought about it for a minute. So thank you for sharing that. I couldn't agree with you more. And I want to thank you for being on the show today with us. Thank you so much for having me. I loved being on the show. Excellent. So listeners, I want you to take another listen through this and listen to the to the challenges that Connor has had to manage, overcome and make choices about because he was given some things that would have been a challenge for anyone. And I know you have challenges in your own life, but he talked about fear, which is something for all of us. And at the end, so powerfully about trusting yourself and following your own intuition. And I can tell you, from my own experience and from listening to our guest here today, that if you do that, you'll be able to create your ultimate life. Open your heart in this time around. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is Your Ultimate Life with host Kellen Flukiger. Stand with your heart.